Hello and welcome everyone to episode 210 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined by Paul and Ryan. And, uh, you know, we've had a few days to kind of digest the Brewers' disappointing exit from the playoffs, but a little tougher to swallow when you see Atlanta win game one of the NLCS. Ugh, and Gross. Uh, just, yeah, the truest park. Just rocking for the NLCS with the stupid chance that TBS just keeps showing over and over again. Uh, so clearly uh, difficult to watch the NLCS. I've only been able to watch bits and pieces. I don't know about you guys. I guess other than that, how are y'all doing? Oh, fine. Just great. <laughs> Very convincing. Very yeah. convincing. Yeah. I mean, the, right. the Badgers won this weekend. The Packers won this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, both super convincingly. Yeah, that's that's great. <laughs> I mean, was the was the the Packers Bears game expected to be the like Packers a Bears throttling? game? Like, not to not to step on myself for the the pod later, but it was a really weird game. The Packer offense actually led all teams in EPA per play this week, despite weird. only scoring like twenty four points. Um, just a very slow game, very very light pace. And uh, no, the Packers were supposed to blow the Bears out, and they, you know, they won by ten. That's fine, but it, it, it should. It, the Packers always should look better than they do. That's the thing. <laughs> They're pacing themselves, and they they do look a whole hell of a lot better than that week one, which I still can't quite figure out what happened there. Yeah, it's the fourth preseason game. That's what happened. I There's guess. a lot going on in that game. It, they also. Yeah. It wasn't just an anomaly. The Saints actually did a very nice job stopping Devonte Adams, which is the key to this whole thing. So they did. All right. Yeah, it's, it's worth worrying about still. Yeah, we'll we'll let you tackle that on reporting. Yeah, yeah. eligible. I guess we can we can only put off talking about the Brewers for so long. So we may as well just jump in and talk about that disappointing series. First, though, as always, we want to remind you, you can help support us and the Reporting as Eligible gang by becoming a patron. That's at patreon.com slash tailgate. $2 a month, you get that question priority here on this podcast and on the Reporting as Eligible one. Five bucks a month, that next level up on Patreon. Uh, you get some extra content. You get that minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire every month. You also get Paul's Reporting as Eligible preview mini pods he'll preview the preview those games every single week always good listening there but uh plenty of people taking advantage of the question priority this week obviously um you know both here and you know we put out the call for questions on twitter as well and anytime you're gonna have kind of a just a super disappointing end to what looked like a really promising year there's gonna be a lot of questions about what the hell happened right so uh, as I mentioned, we kind of had a few days to kind of think about things here. We're not going to get super granular about what happened in Atlanta. I know Ryan and Paul, both of you uh, felt super optimistic about those two games in Atlanta, yep. and they did not go <laughs> the way you guys were expecting. Nope. Uh, so, yeah, I guess uh, before we get into the questions, just like big picture Thoughts on the NLDS and I guess just the biggest disappointment for you, Paul. Um, I think it's crazy how much the Devin Williams injury ended up looming over the whole thing. Yeah, fundamentally, the problem with the team was they couldn't score. Like that's why they lost. And any explanation that fo- that focuses on pitching is kind of missing the big picture, I think. But 
the the amount of scrambling they had to do to get through games in Atlanta yeah. because the bullpen just wasn't what they wanted it to be was insane. So um, it didn't give up a ton of runs. It, it was, you know, by and large, a pretty good pitching performance by the team. But I did not expect to see them kind of so discombobulated and so disorganized in their bullpen usage um, that it, it really made me uncomfortable. And that's when I started to get nervous about it, even when they weren't hitting. So that is crazy. Yeah, I think that the Brent Suter injury ended up being too. Yeah. a really big deal that we haven't really talked about very much because yeah. he was the guy who could eat multiple innings and provide uh, his a rubber arm in that he can go multiple days and you just kind of don't worry about him. And yeah, we're skeptical that he's a guy that you necessarily want out there in huge situations, but compared to some of the guys they did have to throw out there in these big situations, I would have much rather seen Suter. So Absolutely. those two guys being gone, both Williams and Suter did do quite a bit of damage, but you hit it on the head with the, the offensive point. They lost that series because of the offense. The yeah. offense was, I put this out on Twitter. They posted a 527 OPS. That's not great. It's real bad. It's terrible. Right. Jackie Bradley Jr. This year had a 497. And that was good for a 34 OPS plus. So 66, 66% below the league average hitter. And the Brewers were just a little bit better than that in the yeah, course yeah. of that series. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you don't need to out clever yourself on this. Like the Brewers offense had those stints over the course of the season where they just went into the tank and we all dreaded it would happen in the playoffs. And it, it's just not a great offensive team. And it happened exactly like we feared. And that's why they lost. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, to get into that, there, there's going to be a bunch of questions that get into that. So I don't want to dig too deep into it. But th I think that is the priority for the offseason. We don't need to overthink this too much. Improving the offense is what needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. One way or another, there's definitely going to be questions down the line. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but first of all, our face, first Patreon question, I, I should mention, yeah, we're not going to dive too deep into this. It, it's basically an ask us anything episode is how we're going to do this. We got tons of questions, so it's going to be almost all questions here. It's a uh, Wednesday, so effectively wild. That's what we're yeah. doing. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. All right. So, of course, our first one has to come from Jay Google, right? Of so, it uh, so Jay had a couple of questions, but the first one I'm going to pick out from the list uh, specifically about game four, obviously the one that lost the series and uh, just a total gut punch of a game because it looked like they might steal one and get one back to Milwaukee. And then Freddie Freeman happened and there you are. But uh, Jay's question about game four is asking if you could change one thing, what would you change? Would you leave Eric Lauer in to face Orlando Arcio? Would you bring Brandon Woodruff in instead of, Ashby, uh, I guess a little bit earlier in the game. I know that was, you know, some some discussion there using yeah. Woodruff when you're ahead instead of tied. Uh, or Jay's asking not use all of our catchers by the sixth <laughs> inning. So, uh, Ryan, let's start with you. I guess what if there was one thing in game four that you could change that would maybe change the outcome of that game? What would it be? It goes back to even before leaving Lauer in Lauer never should have been in at that point, given that he was going to have such a short leash anyway, uh, they should have pulled him when he came up with, what was it, one out and uh, runners on the corners, and they had yeah, him bumped. Right. And so you're saying yep, pinch hit yep. for him like they pinch hit for Freddie the day if before. You're gonna go that, if you're going to have that quick a trigger, then you, gotta, you can't let him hit. Like, 
Simple as that. Mm-hmm. And the in both cases, I'm completely on board with lifting the pitcher. I do kind of understand why Council was reticent to do that. I think he felt like he needed to get length out of Lauer because they just didn't have the horses that he wanted. I think he looked at it, and to Jay's point here about Woodruff, I don't think they were going to use Woodruff for more than an inning there, and he didn't want to burn him that early. And he wanted to get a bridge in there, and it never really worked out because the Braves just never really let up and let him leave a a reliever in there for as long as he would have, I think, ideally liked. Yep. And so when you're in that situation, because when you're in an elimination game, you have to make the switch before something bad happens. So you you have to be reactive in that situation. And it just set up poorly for counsel. It It was one of those things where every single time he made a decision. It was like sideshow Bob stepping on the rakes. Like <laughs> it just every single time the thing would pop up and hit him in the face and it, it like yeah. didn't matter what he did. And that was largely because the players and I, I should preface this by saying the pitchers largely did pitch pretty well. They did. They but, did. It was a good series for them. Yeah. But even so, even in a lot of those situations, things didn't quite work the way they were supposed to in a lot of those situations. So like Josh Hader giving up a lefty lefty home run to Freddie Freeman, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. 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 Uh, I will say this too. Like it's fair. The offense should shoulder the blame for this loss for sure. They're the weak point and they did not show up at all. But knowing that they are bad sometimes and they were clearly bad, um, you can put some blame on, on council and the pitching staff for not getting it done um, as well as they had to without an offense to back him up. And like just Hader giving up that bomb is it's bad luck. It's all kinds of bad stuff, but like usually he gets through that and you get to go to extra innings and maybe win it. And that it it just kept not working for them. Um, The other thing, the other thing that makes the Braves a particularly bad matchup for this, for the Brewers. And I should have noticed this before it started, but their top three pitchers all have reverse platoon splits. Like we talked about this a bit last week with Morton, um, but all of them have backwards platoon splits, and the Brewers use platoons a lot to their advantage. And you can't do it against the Braves, against their top three pitchers, because they're all backwards. Uh, I mean, you can notice they're backwards and try and work off backwards, but they're all basically non-split guys with slight reverse splits, and so that it removes a huge tactical advantage the Brewers have too. So it's a bad matchup for them. And it, it kind of sucks that they ran into a team with that kind of weird starting pitching profile because nobody else has it. That's just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Dodgers are kind of running into that issue. Too. They are running into yeah, that and struggling because, with it. Exactly. So um, you have Dave Roberts out there trying to be the smartest guy in the room. And I don't know if it's working to this point. We'll see. But yeah, that that is a good point too. The Braves are just like a weird team and I mean that, that like we said it's a deep lineup even though you had Jorge Soler test positive for COVID right before game four <laughs> but you know then you have Jock Peterson just becoming a pinch hitting god in the in the in this series too and what are you going to do <laughs> so um I guess another game four related thing I don't think we actually got a question directly about this but there's a lot of there was a lot of consternation about not pitching Corbin Burns on short rest or what have you. I guess hindsight 2020, Ryan, would you consider using him even in a relief role on short rest instead of Woodruff there or anything like that? Or was Lauer just the way to go? Absolutely not. 
so baseball players, like all athletes, are programmed to be like, I want to be out there. I want to be, you know, going for the team. And they are programmed to to push that way. Corbin yep. Burns said when he talked to reporters after that game that or it may have been before the game even also, mm-hmm. he said he wasn't ready, that he was yes, not he, he had not recovered the way that he had hoped. And I don't know what they were using to judge that. I don't know how exactly they assess that, but I have to trust that they have a, a good idea of that and they're tracking it and they're looking at it and they decided that it wasn't going to be worth it. And the the numbers on this are really, really very convincing. They're very God. clear. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, well, Ryan was arguing with our, our good friend Easy Narc a lot on this on Twitter beforehand. And uh, like I am one to side with Easy fairly regularly, but Ryan's 100% right on this. Aside from the fact that you have to win two games, not just one. Like Your goal is to win the World Series, not to get out of this thing. you got to win two games, and Corbin uh, starting one on regular rest is better than on short rest, and he, that's going to happen. Um, but we have a lot of research on pitchers going on short rest, and it all speaks to the the same thing which is that they're not as good and you know not as good isn't necessarily bad but eric lauer is a pretty good pitcher and short rest corbin likely projects out to be worse than eric lauer and a bevy of you know whatever platoon and relievers and whatnot that's that i don't even think it's that close of a call to be perfectly honest um you know it's an, an elimination game you have all guys on deck ready to go but you know, you, you need to start the next game. And honestly, going with everybody in that game and then having Corbin maybe push a little bit in the next game is probably a smarter idea. So um, it, it, it they didn't give up that many runs. It's it's honestly... No, again, it's not a pitching it, issue. And to the extent, so. like, Josh Hader was perfectly rested and still, <laughs> still gave up a run to a same side guy. So what are you going to do? Um, mm-hmm. But yes, that, that's, that is the... They made the right decision there. It didn't burn them. Uh, they didn't give up runs that they normally wouldn't have given up, and it just was a, a game that kind of got away in some weird and crazy ways. So, what are you going to do? Yep. Yeah. And what, if you pitch Corbett in that game, what do you do in the next game? Uh, like, right. Wh- It'd what be is, what Woodruff on short rest, or Woodruff on short rest, or and, and, and again the bevy of relievers, and same yeah. as this. So, yeah. Yeah. It, With and... a worse chance of getting to that game. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I just wanted to make sure that we addressed that because I think we were all kind of on the same page there. Um, yeah. And, you know, Corbin had to work in game one, too. That's the other thing is the Braves were really tough on him yep. this year. So he's no guarantee either. And really, I don't think he could have asked for more out of Eric Lauer than what he got. I know so. everybody wants to, like, push, like, just say, like, oh, you have to man up and do it or whatever. But that, like this is not a mental thing with pitchers it's a physical thing like yeah. if you push them too 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 hard they they lose velocity and their ability to locate pitches more quickly this is a, a, a something we've studied a ton it's not a like oh he's not like as ghoul as a guy was 50 years ago throwing or anything like that it's no no we study this and this is just what happens to you and we actually saw it play out in that game with charlie morton who was a much inferior pitcher yes he was it took yes to once he got through the order once and was open over like 50 60 pitches and got hit pretty hard that first time just some Mm -hmm. some luck bailed Mm -hmm. him out a little bit yeah and that was the other thing in that series is the brewers didn't hit well don't get me wrong on that but they also hit a lot of balls hard right at people to 
to be fair, Game great defensive was, plays. Kudos, yeah. kudos to the Braves for playing great defense and shifting well. And uh, knocks to the Brewers for not elevating the ball a little bit more. <laughs> like hitting a couple more out of the park would have gone a long way towards winning the series. They just didn't hit home runs. Like they're home run other than team. Rowdy. Yeah, other Rowdy's than Rowdy, like, it was all Rowdy. Like, and that was all know, Rowdy did. That's when they scored. Is when Rowdy knocked it out. And other than that, they didn't. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, going back to the to the previous point, like if you look at what Charlie Morton did, he lost command and was not nearly as sharp putting his locations in. And I think you have to remember, too, I, I pointed this out on Twitter in that conversation with with easy. Uh, this wasn't Burns going on. So this would have been Burns on three days rest. Normally, yeah. pitchers go on four days rest, but the Brewers starters this year did not go on four days rest. They were going on five days rest five. Yeah. every single time. And there were a few isolated cases where guys ended up going on four days rest, but I don't believe Burns ever did. No. So I think he every single time this year went on five days rest, and that was a deliberate attempt to make sure that the overall innings workload would be down and to keep yep. these guys healthy through this tricky year, which... Look, they did stay very healthy and they yeah. have they have a track record now of keeping pitchers healthy in a way. Not a lot of teams have been able to say they can. So especially guys who throw as hard as some of these Brewers pitchers do, you would expect more injuries than what we've seen. And I think that has to do with their methodology and how they they do this stuff. And yes, knock on wood, because this can all change on you know at a moment's notice. But I think they deserve credit for this and they clearly know what they're doing. So. To have started him not on one day shorter rest, but two days shorter rest, when he himself was saying he didn't think that he was recovered to the point where it would have taken, it would have been foolish to start him. Yeah. It, it yeah. absolutely would have. Yeah. And kudos to him for being able to answer that question honestly, yeah. not just to like the media, but to Craig Council himself, right? Because... Ryan, you had said it after that game one start. He came up to council the next day saying, hey, I, I'll go on short rest if we need me to. And then just a couple of days later, it just wasn't happening. You know, he had really labored in that start and kind of needed that extra day. So, uh, yeah, you know, you guys are right. Like too often in sports, there's that machismo thing where it's like, OK, suck it up, man up and and do it do your job, do it poorly because you're hurt and you're not good. <laughs> but, you know, uh, Corbin understood that him at 80% didn't do the team any favors. So mm -hmm. uh, only Christian Yelich were as honest. Oh uh, yeah. We'll get to that. All right. Um, so obviously now our attention sort of turns to the off season, uh, a lot of uncertainty there for multiple reasons, be they with the brewers or the league itself. And, you know, the future of the league. Uh, so that leads us to our next Patreon question from PJ Wessels. He's asking, so uh, what now? So, uh, Paul, I guess, what's what's next? What what do we look for this offseason? So this is always tough with the Brewers because they are a small market team with limited budget, but they, they do stuff. You know, it's not like they have unlimited budget, but they will they will be active they traded for Willie Thomas they they traded for Eduardo Escobar um they, it's not like they they don't do anything they signed Colt Wong in the offseason but they're in a hard place because they have a lot of people coming up for free agency like Abisail Garcia one of their best bats on the this season their second best bat this season is going to be a free agent on a team that doesn't have many bats to start with and yep. 
it's not like they need more average guys. Like uh, they have a lot of average guys. They have a lot of guys who are around 100 OPS plus. They need like a couple star hitters. That's hard to get. So um, what's next is probably that they rely on pitching, then they fill holes, and they don't get star hitters, and they do kind of the same thing. But if they want to seriously contend, they need one or two impact bats. They don't have that in the minors unless something really strange happens with Keston Hira, and I don't think it will, or if they fix um, Christian Yelich, and I think we're all of the mind that that ship's kind of probably sailed at this point. Um, oh, I'm not of that mind, but we'll get there. Well, okay. Some we'll, of us we'll are of that, that question. Some of us yeah. are of that mind. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, but, I mean, their needs are clear and their needs are expensive. So it really comes down to um, are, are those bats available and are they willing to pony up for them? Probably not. So I think you're probably looking at something similar next year with some, some lottery tickets that, um, well, we'll see. Yeah, so the basic thing here is that it is going to be hard to upgrade the offense because, as you pointed out, there weren't a lot of holes in it, especially as it got to the end of the season. Yeah. It was kind of a a lineup that was good top to bottom, but didn't have that middle of the order. We talked about this a bunch of times, that they didn't have those big boppers. There was no Freddie Freeman on this team. You know, there was no uh max muncie or mookie Betts. there was the brewers did not have that guy at least producing that way this year so that does make it difficult and they are going to have to get creative about this and i think that one i think you will see them go into free agency because they always do they'll find a a a discount guy and maybe this is a time that they actually make that play knowing that lorenzo kane's contract is just about up Yep. Maybe they do make a big play if uh, the price on somebody they really like is is there. Um, we're going to have to see. That's a that's sort of an open question. And we also have to be somewhat concerned generally. I know that Keith Law was talking on this week's podcast with a uh, friend of the show, Derek Van Riper, about the fact that the Brewers really screwed up Keston Hero's swing. Sure did. And that it's just not anything like what it was. And that's something that they need to look at. And I don't think that this was a thing that was done by Andy Haynes at the major league level. I, I'm almost positive, in fact, that it wasn't. That this is something that had come along. He was he was working on his swing before he ever got to the big league team. And Andy Haynes has only been the hitting coach since, offhand, what, 2019? I think that's when the complaint started. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, yeah. yeah. And we'll get to Haynes more later, I'm sure. It's a question coming yep. up. But they're going to have to do something, and I think it's probably going to come in the form of a trade. I think that's where this is headed. And we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, I I think that looking at between Woodruff and Hayter and the fact that those two are set to make combined about $20 million next year in arbitration. I don't think they're both on the team next year. And I think that it's perfectly justifiable that they're going to use one of them to trade, to get back a big impact bet. Probably. I, I would be surprised if it was somebody who had no major league experience, but it's going to be somebody that's much closer to the beginning of their pre-arb than it is there to the end of their pre-arb. And it will also be a multi, multiple piece of deal. 
right? Like we're going to be looking at multiple pieces. There will also be pitching that comes back. I've already, I've, I've talked to multiple people about this. I think the Blue Jays match up excellently with them. And no, we're not talking about Vlad and Bichette <laughs> and those guys. It, we're talking about a tier down. We're talking about guys in the minor leagues. Like I could see Jordan Groshans and, uh, and Nate Pearson, the pitcher, making a very good starting point for a deal for, say, Brandon Woodruff. You'd need more. You'd have to work out more with that. But there are going to be things here that need to be done to adjust this team. And they do have that most precious thing right now. They have not only do they have a huge depth of pitching, they have a huge depth of really good pitching. And they also have a system where you can look at it and go, the Brewers now know how to produce pitching and they're producing it in ways that maybe only Cleveland can, you know, say that they, they do a similar job of producing elite pitching at this point. Yeah. So I think that they can you can fall back on that. You can rely on that and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna deal a guy who is obviously a, a big time star and a big time player in say Brandon Woodruff, because I, I am skeptical that they're going to be able to do it for Hater, just because ten million dollars for a closer, not a lot of teams are gonna want to pay that. And eh, so the Dodgers. <laughs> well, it, it it very much limits your market, right? Yeah. It it takes the number of teams and then that makes it harder if there's not a robust market, you can't get a bidding war going very easily and teams just aren't going to look at Hader at 10 million as having nearly the surplus value that say Woodruff at about 7 million. You can, you can obviously get more for Brendan Woodruff. He's a starting pitcher, he offers more valuable generally speaking. The market will be bigger. But I, I kind of disagree with that on Hader because he has a really good track record now as an elite reliever, which you don't always get with guys. You know, it's a it's a position that fluctuates a lot. And while you don't get mid tier interest in those guys, um, with with Hader's production level, you do get the expensive teams uh, very interested in those guys to help push them over the edge. Um, yeah. that's, you know, Araldus Chapman ends up on the Yankees for that reason. Like that's, that's why that happens. And, um, if you have a couple of those guys bidding for your super awesome closer, that could still work out pretty well for you. So I, I actually think they, they might do better on, if, if he was a tier down, I would totally agree with you, but he's a super elite guy. And I think that you can actually get decent payback for him. And the other thing about Hater is there might be some push factors besides pull factors going on there in that you guys <laughs> saw the rumors that were going on about Hater not necessarily seeing eye to eye with management oh, on yeah. his usage. And to Craig Council's credit, he used Hater the way Hater wanted to be used. He sure not did. Not the way the front office wants him to be used. And I think that is to Craig Council's credit because that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. But I think that also, does make it more likely he'll be traded. Josh Hader should go complain to his union about that. That's uh, it is not the yeah. Brewers' fault that they are hard asses in arbitration. It is um, it's something you can negotiate in collective bargaining. And <laughs> so, I'm I'm very player sympathetic, but it's your fault. So <laughs> tough. Yeah, I mean yeah. the the whole fact of the matter is is that he guys in arbitration get paid based on saves. Relievers, yep. that's how they get paid. They and do. guys, Josh Hader deserves that to get system. paid. So. <laughs> yeah, Hater deserves to get paid. There's no question about that. He deserves yeah. the money, but it, it, it's meant that they've used him suboptimally. Yep. All right. I guess on a happier note, we've got a question from Adam Post here. 
asking, please provide an optimistic look at what this offseason will look like from both a CBA <laughs> and a Brewers fan outlook. So, you know, we've talked about trading away Brandon Woodruff, Josh Hader, uh, you know, wide speculation that there's going to be a lockout and nothing's going to happen this winter until February because things are going to get ugly. But Paul, what's the optimistic view here? <laughs> the optimistic view is that we just had a pandemic and players and owners both took it on the chin a little bit to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you could make a, a decent argument that the players actually weathered this a little bit better than the owners. Now, uh, caveats there, owners are all rich assholes and they'll be fine. But uh, <laughs> it, the rich assholes have their own sort of behind-the-scene metrics of wanting to make certain amounts of money, having debt obligations that they have to pay or pony up from their own personal accounts for. And they're not going to want to have a work stoppage. They've essentially had a work stoppage for the 2020 where they did not make all the gate revenue they wanted to and all the money. And that, that does hurt the owners to have to go you know, multiple years without getting revenue generated by their sport. Um, the players, of course, didn't make their full salaries in 2020, but they did okay. Um, and it's not like, that said, like the players are, I think, always in the weaker spot here. Uh, you know, they're not all billionaires. That That is how these things work. They're not going to want to miss paychecks either. So both sides are, I think, going to be pretty committed to having revenue coming in the door. And that's what's going to be the best thing to keep baseball going in the not too distant future is that they, both of them can't really afford to have a bunch of money missing again in such short order. Like uh, normally if you're going to go striking or lockouting, you like to have some preparation time to tell, to, to tell all your members, Hey, save money. This is coming, you know, do budgeting, talk to your silent partners, save your money. Don't go spend it on Maseratis, all that good jazz. And th- 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 frankly, there's you know no way that that happened over the COVID time. So, that's all good. That's your big positive there as to why there likely will be a settlement and will be baseball. It might be a bit of a weird CBA. It might not be um, as long of a negotiation as you normally get. They may have to do this again in like three years or something like that. Kick but, the can uh, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it might be a little bit of a kick the can to get to get everything back to financial stability. But uh, uh, I mean, that might work out in everybody's favor for the, at least the short term. So that's good. That's I think you're optimistic in the the macro level. Okay, well, I'll be the negative Nancy then. And yeah. He Paul, asked for positive, Ryan. I know he did, but uh, I'm here to ask a question. I'm actually going to ask this of Paul because I think I'm reading this the right way, but Paul may correct me and say that I'm wrong. The thing that has me not optimistic is, it is, is it correct? The, the players do not get paid until the regular season starts. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so the players are in the offseason not pulling paychecks anyway. So they aren't they don't feel any pinch financially from this until regular season games start to get missed. Well, so that's a yes and a no. Um, You've got. Well, here's the thing. You've got a couple of classes of players here. Okay, you've got most baseball players have good, savvy agents and good, savvy financial planning who spread out their their takings over the course of the a year with things like trusts and tax avoidance things and they get paid regularly they know what they can spend and what they can't spend and yeah they won't feel it until games start but it's sort of smoothed and it's not so much that they're missing checks for that group but it's the prospect of i have this 
financial structure set up that pays me over the course of the year and i see it coming that it will go away soon and and so you're, you're kind of right they won't feel the pinch till it starts but like those guys are smart enough to know that the pinch is coming and it'll, it'll still bite them now then you've got like a third of the league though that kind of lives paycheck to paycheck and it some some of that is extravagance uh by guys who don't budget well but some of that is just young guys who actually mm-hmm. don't make that much money and um you know even if they um would love to save a lot going forward like they have family obligations maybe they need their family needs help maybe they have medical expenses maybe their parents haven't ever owned a house and now they do you know that kind of thing so th- there's like a third of the league that's that and that's those are the guys who get scared so um re- i think regardless of the player situation they either see it coming from a oh my planning's going to be screwed up perspective and i'm sophisticated and don't like that kind of like an owner and then you have guys who are going to be who will see that and like oh shit i'm kind of screwed if this actually happens okay so paul took me off the the ledge there and that does make perfect (laughs) sense so i will i will stick with that in the spirit of happiness and togetherness on Uh, this uh but the other half of this is i think from a fan perspective you can look at this off season at whatever it, it ends up being the mandate is very clear they need to get better offensively yeah and it's sort of not a a tricky situation the way it it maybe has been in the past where they were filling in holes or whatever they get to bring back just about everybody that they have in place so the mandate is to find ways to just really improve at a few positions and at least that is a pretty clear signpost for what they need to do so you can look forward to that at least once the offseason actually does get going (laughs) yep yeah, maybe the CBA weirdness provides some opportunity for the Brewers to land some of those weird one or two year contracts that can kind of help <laughs> yeah. them get those extra, you know, two, three, four war that they need to kind of get over the edge, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they, they've done a lot of the the hard work in just getting to that playoff level, right? And now the next tricky thing is that extra one or two war is the super expensive war and, and the trickier to find right? it, yep. that, that they have a marginal problem. Like it's easy to find middle war where there's lots of people that maybe give it to you. And they do need that sort of that extra rare star powered war. It's unfortunate, but true. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Tied into the off season. We got, our next question from Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club. They're asking, uh, <laughs> what do you think the 2022 or 2023 Brewers will look like? Who's out on the coaching staff? Who's in and out in free agency? How much longer do you think the Brewers window is open as a contending team? And what are your thoughts on postseason Craig Council? So lots of questions there. <laughs> I guess uh, before we jump into the offseason stuff, I, I know, Ryan, you had mentioned that this is just, do you think this was just a weird series for Craig Council where no matter what he tried just didn't work? I know there were some people that were saying this is probably maybe the worst that we've seen him as a manager, at least tactically. But how much of that was bad decision? How much of that was bad luck? I think most of it was just it was stuff that could have worked out had the players played better. And it, mm-hmm. it that didn't happen. So. I don't think there's anything particularly egregious here in what he did. He was facing a a tough situation that became tougher as it became really clear that the offense just 
couldn't do much of anything and that his bullpen was very short. The the guys he trusted in the bullpen was a, a short group. So his hands were tied. Uh, he's a very, very good manager. He is the gold standard for pitching management in baseball. And I think he's there isn't a manager I would rather have than him. So, you know, I, I there's zero worries there for me. Um, who's out on the coaching staff? I don't know. They like Andy Haynes. I don't think that <laughs> players like him too. The players the like him and trust yeah. him. And I don't know that panicking is the right thing to do here, but it, it's a tricky situation. And oftentimes when you have something like this, where an entire offense just goes cold and it's really it's sort of a big failure the the hitting coach is the guy that ends up wearing it and yep. i don't know that could yep. very well happen it'll if be david him. stearns yeah <laughs> if david stearns wants a job in new york sometime soon he's gonna have to learn the art of scapegoating and that's andy haynes isn't it paul <laughs> yes it, andy haynes will be the, uh, the, the your job when you're the hitting coach is this is to get fired and i mean <laughs> what well when your offense is is bad um you they really actually deserve it. But in this case, he maybe deserves it a little bit because uh, I, I mentioned before, it's kind of the whole system that's a problem. But Andy mm-hmm. Haynes is at the top of that system. And part of his job is to fix, be the last fixer of guys coming up. And and if you just look down the roster as to who is good on offense, Willie Adamas had the best OPS plus on the team, came from another team. Avisail Garcia, not developed by the Brewers, Rowdy Tellez. Came from, came from the Blue Jays. Eduardo Escobar is next. The trade. Then you get Urias, who you can maybe give the Brewers credit for fixing, and that's fine. Um, but then it's Colton Wong. Again, not uh, not from the Brewers organization. Then it's Tyrone Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're, not, you're eight down before you get to a Brewer homegrown guy who's kind of a platoon guy. And after him, it's Omar. So there's nobody from the Brewers system that hits it all. Uh, and after that, it's Yelich, also not from the Brewer system, I might add. So, like, they, that's a problem. This is a big problem. Like, nobody who contributed offensively to this team is from the team. And eventually, you have to get bats from your farm system to actually be any good. You have to get everything from your farm system to be any good. Um, and so, like, they should probably fire everybody in their offensive production. Not, you can't fire everybody, but philosophically, whoever's setting that is screwing up. And they need to fire whoever that is or change it or something. I don't think that's Andy Haynes. I don't think he's the offensive coordinator for the farm system. That's not how this works. But uh, he's the most likely guy to get the X because he's at the top of this tree and this tree sucks. So, yeah, it's. Well, and the problem, too, is you look at they have a new minor league hitting coordinator as of this year. And that was a high profile hire. Do you remember who that was? Nope. You don't recall her name? Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't recall her name. Actually. I don't. I don't either. I was furiously uh, googling it, but yeah, I was hoping you would bail me out on that. Sorry. <laughs> no, I don't pay attention to the minors at all. So. No, and and you wouldn't. It was just that this was a case where the Brewers hired the first female uh, minor league hitting coordinator. We're all googling Sarah Goodrum. Sarah Goodrum. Yes. Thank you. I, I thought I won't was... forget again because I forgot on a podcast. So. Um, <laughs> That's fine. The, the men apparently suck at this, so I am all for this. <laughs> well, and the thing is, this is her first year, and 
So really anything she would have done in the minor leagues has not come anywhere near to fruition yet. Like this is not, that's, that's not how that works. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that you have, you have weird things that happen all the time. And I think you can look at different, different things and I, it could be that they fired the old minor league hitting coordinator because because nobody ever developed ever because they well, weren't because coming up ready, Hero, right? yeah. like it, it may be that they have already made these changes in response to something yeah and yeah, we just we, we don't really know because there's such a lag time on stuff like that so i don't think we necessarily are going to see anybody scapegoated but you know if it is a scapegoat if that is what is decided is needed then yeah it'll be andy haynes uh jay google has an andy haynes question too so i'll just sneak this in while we're talking about it uh jay's saying he's sure haynes will probably be the fall guy this offseason and this is deeper than him but does the organization have to change its philosophy on hitting kind of what paul was hinting at there uh, Jay just doesn't understand how you can be so far advanced on the pitching side, so far behind on the offensive side, or is it just a lack of really talented hitters? Ryan, I guess your take on that, the top-down philosophy on hitting, does that need to change at all? Well, I think it's harder to develop hitting now than it is yeah. to develop pitching, and they 100%. were they were ahead of the game. I think they were going back to the the Doug Melvin era and what they were doing with like the pitching symposium back in 2010 like i think they've been pushing on this stuff to become better and better at developing pitchers for a long time and it does take time for things like that to pay off and so the the hope is is that they've already identified a bunch of you know what the issues are in their hitting development and they've already fixed those things and have you know pushed forward on that stuff uh we just are going to have to wait a while to know if that is true. We yeah. we can't know right away. It's it's yes. one of those things that is borne out over time, not in a, a short period of time. Yep, we have a, we do have a new minor league hitting coordinator. That's how you start fixing that down low. Um, and I, it, it's hard to identify anything Andy Haynes has actually done that has helped at all, other than the players like him. So they seem to think so. But it is harder to develop hitting at this point. Um, it's it's kind of like offense, defense, and football. Uh, pitchers have the ball in their hand, and you can be very scientific about it. Like uh, the whole driveline thing is about just measuring spin rates and working on location at a very granular level and building up muscle memory and actually sort of anti-muscle memory and how you throw. Um, and hitting's not like that. Like you have to react to the ball. And other than telling a guy that they maybe should elevate the ball more or you know have a different pull profile. It, it's it's not the same thing at all. You have to be able to hit a ball in a billion different places as it crosses the plates in various different ways and react so quickly. It's it's much more of an art than a science than, than pitching is. Pitching is all science, and you can break that down into you should do this in this moment, and it'll work most of the time. Hitting's completely different. It is a, a very high-level thought process, um, and it does take, I think, in a, different, a sort of high-level philosophy to get right, and uh, I, I don't really think there is a, a template to follow on the development path that works consistently from team to team because guys are so different. Um, it, even your stadium plays a big part in this. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what a profile that works in in a big giant West Coast stadium 
may just fail miserably in a rainy, cold, smaller Midwest stadium for whatever reason with a left or right split that's bigger than normal. So it's it's much more difficult to do hitting. And they need to figure that out and get, I think, number crunching, but also thinking in a little bit more creative way about how they go about hitting development. And if I had to bet money, I would say that they already had these conversations years ago. <laughs> and have this has been an ongoing conversation that they've Probably been having. Probably so. Because, look... When they saw what happened with Corey Ray, I think that had to have been something of a uh, of a warning sign. And then while following that up with what has happened to Keston Hira, where yeah, it looked yeah. so promising and then it all kind of fell apart, they had to have yeah. been asking these questions a considerable amount of time ago. Yeah, because, you're right about that. Yeah. The safest bet in the draft ever is the best college bat like the best mm-hmm. college bat works out like 85 percent of the time and they've at broken least an, two of them yeah as, as at least an <laughs> average hitter and they've broken two of them which is almost impossible so you're you're certainly correct about that that is a big red flag in their development and yeah. one that they've almost certainly identified a long time ago yeah and are have been working to fix is my point so just just because they don't necessarily do anything dramatic this off season to do that, uh, don't take that as a sign that they're not doing anything. They they probably have much more of a long-term, stable plan in mind. Uh, one thing I would say, and I brought this up, I believe, last week when I brought up the Astros, they could probably use some contact hitters. And I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean guys who you just don't mean slap- slappy, no. slappy guys. Yeah, no. No, I mean the Michael Brantleys of the world. When Michael Brantley got to the Astros, it was a signal that things were changing uh, and that their their approach and what they were doing was going to be changing. Yeah. And the Brewers could probably use that on some level. I guess you could say that Colton Wong. It, it, Colton Wong isn't dramatic that way, though. Yeah. It's not a dramatic thing. And I, I don't know because I, I didn't think about this ahead of time, but who that guy would be on the free agent market this year if there is a guy that... I hear, I hear Luis Urias has an 80-hit tool, so... <laughs> I mean, and and he has done the, the thing. He's done the Keston Hero thing, but he's it's worked for him. He is he yep. has given up contact for power, which is what uh, Hero did, and it worked yeah. for him at first, and then it went to hell. But again, we should point out that... Uh, <laughs> That uh, Urias has a tiny strike zone, so he still walks. Keston never did. Well, he still walks, but Luis Urias struck out 116 times this year, which is a lot for his profile. Well, the other thing, too, is Urias was making that change before he ever got to Milwaukee. He he had already started that transition a year before he was traded. Yeah, I was going to say Nick Castellanos, but I just looked it up. He had a 20% K percentage this year. <laughs> you know, Chris Bryant strikes out a ton, too. I don't know uh, I, exactly who that guy is. 20% is not bad, though. I mean, it's that's not, not bad anymore. It's not Brantley. Yeah. Brantley is like single digits, and that's what you... Yeah. I think they could use that guy in this lineup, but I don't know where you're going to find him. Yeah. Castellanos also had a 340 up this year, so... Buyer beware on that one, I guess. <laughs> well, he's going back to Cincinnati, right? Um, I think he'll opt out, but maybe resign. Yeah, but he should go. I back guess to he's Cincinnati. He's a Cincinnati legend forever. He, he yeah, the Brendan career. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh boy, uh, the brave center fielder just overran a uh, a ball, and the Dodgers looks like they scored two. Yeah, Dodgers right. just scored two. 
There you go. Couldn't have done that a week sooner. Nice timing, yes. guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, exactly. guys. All right. Um, I guess one last thing on Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club's question there. The question on how long the Brewers window is open. I guess really quickly, <laughs> Paul, uh, how, how many years do we have here before they got to rip it everything down? Uh, windows are stupid, and um, <laughs> especially in baseball, because they might come out next year and just like play 10 games worse than they did in the window. It looks like it's closed. But the, their pitching provides a good platform to to keep this open it's very young it's good and we saw their offense be not very good but that pitching elevates you let's especially with council lets you win a lot of one-run games that you otherwise maybe wouldn't and as long as they have that i think they'll be contenders so i think the window is still pretty good and i don't think you can project it more than like three years out and i think they should contend for another three years or so before and you know then we'll have to reevaluate but it's still wide open. This is not an old team by any stretch. It's it's a young team. It, most of their good players are in their prime. They just have a bunch of gaping holes to fill. That's all. <laughs> so yeah, their their windows they're in good shape window wise. I, I think that they're they're looking pretty good. I think uh, the next two or three years they should be contenders every year. Yeah, going back to the to the point you made before um, about the gaping holes. Like, and that is because we talked about that before and you agreed with that, that like it is kind of the tricky part right now that they don't have the huge holes that are, you know, you don't have a guy who's like other than Jackie Bradley Jr., who they were (laughs) they were moving him off of the position anyway. They were getting him out of the way as it was. They don't actually have those guys that like at the end of this year, they had up and down the lineup. They had decent options all over the place. They just didn't have yep. plus guys. Right. But anyway, that's not the point. As long as they have uh, pitching depth like this, where you have very good guys in the pen and in the rotation, you have guys coming up from the minors to fill their their place. You have the ability to uh, bring in guys like Hunter Strickland and Brad Boxberger and other people I'm sure I'm not really thinking of right now as long as you have the ability to bring them in and like get good years out of them because you know how to handle them and you know how to to get the most out of them uh they're contenders so the window doesn't close until that stuff goes away yeah also helps that the division is trash right now and all you really need to do is get to the playoffs and hope for the best as we saw right so i i think that also helps on one note we should mention because we were talking about this right before we started recording um Mike Schilt being uh, let go in St. Louis seems to be a sign that they're getting their shit together because Mike Schilt was not very good (laughs) and (laughs) they are seemingly, you know, getting past that. So it's an even better sign. If you're a Cardinal fan, it's a great sign that they didn't let a 17 game winning streak um, bewitch them into keeping a suboptimal manager around yeah because he's he's not good he makes a lot of bad calls and uh it i think they they clearly had an idea before that run of what they were going to do and then they made that run and did it anyway that's what you should do so good on the cardinals he's he's a shitty manager and uh yeah not a good sign i mean not a good sign for the brewers good sign for the cardinals (laughs) All right. Well, I guess back to the Brewers struggling offense, we kind of mentioned two of the the biggest question marks or uh, I guess offenders in underproduction this year, Keston Hira and of course Christian Yelich who uh starting next year is going to be making a hell of a lot more money. <laughs> uh 
slightly more concerning. So we have a question from Whitney, one of our new Patreon members. Uh, Whitney's asking, I don't want to pile on Christian Yelich, but what are the options to help turn this around? What actions <laughs> could the organization take to help? I thought it was interesting. Stern said he was healthy. What are your theories on what went wrong? Best case scenario, how does he look next season? So, yeah, we should mention that in David Stern's season-ending press conference, he did seem to insist that the issue was not physical in nature. Whether or not you buy that, I guess, is a different question, right, Paul? Well, it's, it's a terrible thing to say. Like it is, <laughs> it is not cover for your player. It is, it is throwing the gauntlet down, and I think it it speaks highly to the, the fact that it is mental for Christian Yelich. So, not to mention my Yelich theory for the eight millionth time on this podcast, but I still think he is a little brain broken from bashing a ball into his knee and breaking it, um, because his profile is still weird uh, for his pull side and has been kind of since then. And he's gone in and out with other problems and. He's got some of the other lingering, nagging injuries that older guys start to get, like back injuries and stuff like that. But I still think fundamentally, he needs to fix his ability to pull the ball with power. He's always had kind of a weird profile. He puts it on the ground more than your MVP power hitters do. It's mm -hmm. strange. And I think if I were if I were going to try and fix Yelich, I would take him in a cage. I would put a big, huge armor on his knee. And I would tell him to pull it with power over and over and over and over again until he was no longer afraid of it and was doing it consistently. Partially to fix his overall game, but as guys get older, especially left-handed hitters, they tend to develop into kind of power platoon hitters and lose their ability to hit same side. He doesn't have that at all. Like, he can't hit same side right now, but he's not dangerous against right-handed pitchers, and he needs to at least be that going forward. Like, mm -hmm. the minimum you should expect for Yelich on this contract that they're going to regret is that he can pull the ball. Um and this season, uh, just this season was bizarre. If you go and look at his month by month splits, he was either OPSing 600 or 800 the whole time. <laughs> it flipped back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and just couldn't keep it together. And that's randomness sometimes. But when he's not going well, he looks overmatched and lost. He looks like he's five seconds behind the pitch. This po postseason, we saw some of the ugliest yeah. swings on high, on fastballs that I've ever seen. Just not able to catch up, not anticipating. I think that all comes from fear of pulling the ball. That's what I read on on him. And uh, like, if I was ever going to hire a Ted Lasso style sports psychiatrist, it would be to deal <laughs> with this situation. Um, I think. Oh, we, we, you laugh, but um, it, it, the mental things happen to people in baseball. It's it's not unprecedented. It is probably more prevalent than we think, and uh, especially accompanying a freak injury. Um, it, mm -hmm. it would be a little strange if you didn't have a little bit of PTSD after that and your body didn't have a little bit of a defensive mechanism on pulling the ball as hard as possible in the vicinity of your knee and having it explode again. So uh, they should do that. And I'll be interested to see if they go that route with him. He's a big investment and they should be doing whatever they can to fix that guy. So I mentioned it this summer. Uh, you guys remember what happened with uh, Juan Soto at the All-Star break? Nope, don't. He uh, don't. he went into the All-Star break and uh, agreed to do the Home Run Derby. And somebody asked him the question and said, are you worried that this is going to screw you up? And he said, no, no, no. I need to hit for a lot more power because I wasn't hitting for any power in the first half. So I'm thinking this is going to fix me and make me better. <laughs> that and he literally then went out and had uh, a Barry Bonds prime Second half. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, awesome. Kudos yes. to Juan Soto for that. 
I think Christian Yelich needs to find himself a home run derby. I don't know. Uh, do they do that <laughs> yeah. at like, the All-Star game in the Dominican uh, Winter League? Like the, uh, the Caribbean uh, Winter know. League? Like find himself a home run derby and really work at it and like get back to pulling the ball because like Paul said, that's exactly what the problem is yeah. here. He needs to fix his pull power. Like that it's not the, the key to everything, but it sort of is. Uh, that mm-hmm. gets your bat speed up. Um, it, it, he's two hitters. He is he is left-handed Christian Yelich and right-handed Christian Yelich. And uh, for a little bit, left-handed Christian Yelich was pulling it, was keeping him abreast. Like he was he was hitting the same side pitching okay. He was being a spray hitter. He was at his old team, um, but he wasn't pulling for power against opposite side pitching. And that bat speed not being there costs you against the other side too when it starts to slow down and you can't put the ball in play as much. He, he needs to start just hammering uh, righties, and he needs to go get in a batting cage all offseason with righties throwing inside and hammering it anyway. That's what he needs to do. And that is going to be the big thing. And I think that in reference to your earlier point about giving up on Yelich, about the, uh, like, that this is just what he's going to be. Yeah. I would mm-hmm. say that the fact that hitters are still afraid of him for some reason. You mean pitchers? Pitchers, yes. The fact that uh, pitchers yeah. are still afraid of him for some reason makes me think that he's closer to being uh, fixable than maybe we think at this very moment. So I hope you're right, but my my negative on him is the track record of Major League Baseball teams fixing mental problems. And I I am just betting against the Brewers taking the steps necessary to actually fix a, a, a specific non-general problem that um, a lot of people have trouble accepting when it is a mental problem versus a physical problem. And I, I just don't think they'll do the right thing uh, because most professional sports teams don't do the right thing to fix problems like that. Well, do they necessarily have to address that part of it? Or can they just say, look, this is what you have to do. You need to get back to hitting the ball like this. And just elevate it, man. Stop hitting on it on the ground. <laughs> just work on that muscle from a muscle memory standpoint and like just get him get him attacking the baseball again from that side uh, just that way again. I think that that would probably go a long ways towards fixing this. Is I think that's most of it. But I, I actually think you have to convince him to armor that knee, at least for the process and going forward. Um, otherwise, I think his brain's going to block it every single time. Uh, they can build as much muscle memory as they want in the cage, but when he actually gets out there against live hitting and it's in a non-controlled situation, uh, I think you have to convince convince his body and brain that there's that security blanket there, and without it, it's not going to work. That's that's my wager on this. There you go. I think it's it's just weird though that he did actually. It's easy to forget he hit for some power in 2020 granted that was probably a small sample size you could say that right like there were stretches where he hit for a little power this year too so uh but i mean he had like the highest exit velocity average of his career last year um he just struck out a ton because i think all he was doing was selling up for power and i don't know if it's the trying to hit for contact or what but i my biggest issue is just that ground ball rate which is just not sustainable. Nope. When everybody's shifting you the way that they shift Yelich and shifting him almost perfectly, as we saw in the Brave series, too. Like, I don't know. Something just needs to be done there, whether it's Paul, your training regimen or something else. I don't, I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> but like, like we all agree, it's, it's the biggest thing that probably needs to be 
happening if the Brewers are going to fix this internally, at least, right? So, um, especially also, since he's in 2020, making- 2020, all that power, he had reverse platoon splits. He OPS yeah. 1,068 against lefties and 671 against righties. He was still able to spray it around with power, but mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to succeed as a lefty against same side pitching with regularity if you're struggling that much against opposite you're just not you have to get that opposite production back and uh he was able to do it for a little bit being old style christian yelich that's not going to work long term that 2020 should not be relied upon for anything going forward it was weird then and Mm -hmm. uh it was weird in a way that now people can exploit so (laughs) there you go all right uh shifting gears our last patreon question bouncing back to keston hira comes from Jason Albert, and he says, tell me why I should have hope for Hira in 2022. (laughs) In his MLB aggregate, he's had one fabulous half season and one atrocious, essentially unplayable full season. His ceiling on defense seems to be, if you squint, competent. I understand why Stearns has to say what he did in the press conference, but why should we, people who don't care about PR, assume the smaller MLB sample is the correct one? that he can hit a fastball down the dick that the arrow points up. Uh, Jason says he doesn't have the answer. Cutting bait doesn't seem right, but you know, obviously he has no trade value, but relying on him on anything other than, you know, potential surprise kind of feels like whistling past the graveyard and not kind of the thing serious teams do. So Ryan, I guess uh, your thought on Keston Hira, what do we believe from what we've seen so far, is he just irreparably broken, I should say? Or is there still some hope that he gets his head on straight this this winter and improves? It's possible. I wouldn't have said that a year ago that it was possible. I don't think it's a significant possibility that he's irreparably broken. But I don't know what the upside is anymore, especially now that he's not in the middle infield. And apparently he's, you know, not going to go to the outfield. I would think he could play left field, but we have one of those for the next 10 years. So (laughs) Uh, they did say they want to play him out there a little bit more. So mm -hmm. there you have that. But at first base, I don't know that he has the hitting profile to to do that. Uh, He would have to rebound in a way that I'm not convinced he's capable of. But the reason that you're going to have any sort of faith that he can pull off a big rebound is because. Uh, the guy has been a very, very good hitter for a very long time. Uh, it's just that you didn't see it because it was in, you know, high school and college and the minor leagues. And then he changed his swing and we saw that very brief flourish of of power and him being a very good hitter that we were all counting on to be, you know, Christian Yelich's running mate for the next, you know, half dozen years. And then it all came falling apart and I think that ultimately the the guy that uh that was the really really good hitter is still there the question is do they have the tools to fix him does he want to do the things that uh they would think would fix him do they have the right answers none of that we know and we're just gonna have to wait and see on that I think it's increasingly likely that he's gonna need to go to another organization to fix all those issues but like uh like he said here the trade value is very low uh i'm sure there are a lot of teams who look at him and go oh yeah we can fix this oh yeah they would uh, there's hitting coaches all over the place who are looking at him going oh yeah i know how to fix this 
Now, whether all of them can or not, probably not. But uh, at least some of them probably have a pretty good idea. But does he want to do those things? What What is the plan here? We don't know and don't have enough information. But the outlook is definitely less rosy than it was. It is nice to see that the the issue with his mom has apparently been cleared up. She is mm-hmm. uh, she's been declared cancer free, mm-hmm. and yep. she was out uh, watching him play on the West Coast at the end of the year. So that's a huge positive, and I think a huge weight off of him. And maybe maybe that is going to end up being a big factor, and he'll be able to clear his head this off season and get back to being the guy that he was. But we're just gonna have to wait and see. Yeah. I think that is the big thing. With so the the fundamental problem with Hira is that his bat doesn't play most of the places where he can play on the field. Like the hope, he's a much less perfect prospect than he used to be when they had him penciled into second base. We've seen him play out there; he's not that good. And the the big problem with him, aside from the lack of production this year, is just that he's got to be a first baseman or a DH. And he's never profiled as an above average one. He is not a giant, you know, 6'4", 250 pound masher at that position. It's it's not. He's a he's much more like Luis Urias. He is a in, in the minors a contact hitter with some power potential. That contact has gone has left him. But I, I I think so. All that aside, so his upside's not that high anymore. That makes trading him difficult. But I do think that his mother having cancer did do a number on him this year. And I do think you may have to give him a change of scenery. Like if you've ever been through any similar kind of tragedy, it can be hard just to get your life back on track like it was before. And sometimes it takes a reset of some kind to do that. Um, it, it, especially for a young guy who hasn't necessarily gone through something similar like that before. Um, so you have a guy who's not a great high ceiling prospect in the first place. And just enduring a very difficult year of having to deal with a, a very tragic family circumstance um, that combined can combine to undo anybody. And I think it did with him. And I, it's going to be hard to fix him um, for a, a lot of reasons, <laughs> but mostly because he's just that at his best, uh, hitting at his best, he's still not going to be super valuable. He's very limited. I mean, Look at who the first baseman for the Brewers are right now. It's Rowdy Telez. It's Daniel Vogelbach. Uh, what Keston Hero's like top level profile is like what Rowdy Telez did this year, um, and he's about as good defensively as what Rowdy Telez did this year. And Rowdy Telez was freely available, more or less, in the middle of a season. So that's what you're looking at with Keston Hero. So um, that's sort of being the bearer of bad news. But that's what. That's your ceiling, <laughs> and it's not great. Yeah. Uh, it's just hard to be too optimistic right now, but, you know, kind of as Jason said, you're whistling as you walk past the graveyard and hope something pops up. So uh, I, I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, we also did ask for questions on Twitter, and we got a Twitter question from McNam003 asking kind of on this topic, uh, Ryan, best chance of turning it around, Yelich or Hira? Who do you have? Yelich because of the track record. Yeah, Paul, it, you too? It's definitely Yelich, yes. Okay. 
Uh, <laughs> we've got another Twitter question. We'll try to go through these uh, semi-quickly <laughs> because we've kept you guys for over an hour already and a lot to talk about. And But, you know, we're, we're going to plan on taking the next week off. So we figured we'd give you a, a few extra questions here. Nah. Uh, we got one from Pastor Goober. Between the Badgers and Brewers, which offense has been worse lately, Paul? Easy peasy here. Uh, Badgers by a country mile. Um, I know we we think of the Brewers as being a, a bad offense on this season. They were actually a slightly above average offense in terms of points scored. Now, ding them a little bit for the stadium that they play in. But they weren't atrocious. They were just not great. Uh, the Badgers are real bad. The, their mm-hmm. offense is super bad. I, I, I have my, my proprietary stat that I invented for quarterbacks, QBOPS. Uh, oh, just no. so you guys know, Graham Mertz is the worst in Division One college football. There is no quarterback <laughs> worse than him. And uh, you can't uh, be good when your quarterback is the worst quarterback in Division One college football. So, yeah, it, uh, the Badgers have the worst offense. Woof. All right. Uh, another Twitter question <laughs> coming from Josh Ryan, Ryan's, just, Ryan's just like, yep. Hey, yep. Just retweet on that. Just not in smile. Yeah. Uh, Josh Semerow is asking, do you take any satisfaction in the fact that we finished the postseason healthy? I thought it looked I thought it took a lot of the sting away. Hopefully next year, someone else in the division will be good uh, enough to keep us engaged through September. Uh, is he being Ryan, sarcastic, in, dude? He must I don't, be. I don't know. Yeah, like, I guess. Uh, I think that was. Right. I think that sarcasm. I, I'm pretty sure. Do we take any satisfaction in the fact the Brewers finished the postseason healthy? Is that a dig at Burns for not? I don't is even. Is it a? Is it a like? Maybe. Are they? Are we okay? Happy they arrested people for the playoffs or like didn't start Burns in the? Is it a dig at Burns? Well, yeah. the September thing makes me feel like it, it's sort of questioning the strategy of kind of laying off, and then they come out looking flat. So, all right, but like, the, I think the fundamental problem was they weren't healthy. Like, uh, if if they would have had Devin Williams and, um, like, if Christian Yelich's back would have been okay and um, Brent Suter would have been healthy, like they would have been a lot better. So that's, I I, I don't know how to take the spirit of the question, but. It, it <laughs> might be uncharitably, so perhaps we should move on to the next one. Yeah, I, I just, I think that the other issue is that I don't know how healthy they actually were. Look yeah. at all the guys who missed time in September and came back for October. Yeah, Willie Adamas had that stupid quad like the whole freaking month. Like yeah. Adamas had the quad. Eduardo Escobar missed a bunch of time. Like, yeah, and they strange. they yeah. weren't Jake really Cousins the same. Was out for a bunch. Like Rowdy was out for a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Rowdy missed time. And, you know, aside from the two home runs, didn't do anything. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know. I and and I don't want anybody in to keep them engaged through September. I, I like <laughs> running away with the division. Yes. <laughs> it's nice for our blood pressure in September. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, Craig Tembers are fun. But you aren't always going to get a Craig Timber, and sometimes somebody's going to beat you. So I, I would, <laughs> I would just also. like to win by a lot, like they did this year. All right, uh, moving on. Next Twitter question comes from Brewers Numbers. They're asking, "What's more likely, a post twenty nineteen mini teardown and rebuild? The Brewers' opening payroll is over one hundred twenty million because they add a couple big." money free agents or the 2022 team is basically in place already with some cheap additions paul which course do you see being the most likely uh it's such a hard one um i i actually will say it, it's over 120 million dollars with a couple of 
at least one big free agent addition. I I usually bet for cheapness and against Stearns on this, and I'm not sure it'll be a free agent signing. I think the, the trade idea probably has a little more legs than that, but I think that they will actually address the problem, not because they have money to deal with, but because they have pitching depth to deal with. So I, I do think they'll add some people... I, and that money will come with that a little bit, but uh, um, I don't. So I don't think the 2022 team is basically in place. I think they will add bats, and it might not get to 120 million, but I think that that answer is closest to being correct. So they actually don't have that much space. I think they're already. I'm I'm checking this right now. Yeah, I was just trying to get over to the the cap spaces as well. <laughs> yeah. So the the thing with them right now, they're projected for opening day to be right around 120 as it is. Now, that mm-hmm. includes think, both Jackie Bradley Jr. and Avi opting yeah, yeah. in. And uh, by the way, I think I think Brewer's numbers sent me these numbers. I just can't find them in my Twitter right now. So it, just in case it's he on, yells at, It's on Spotrack. So. Right. Well, I'm sure it is. But just in case he yells at me later that I sent you the numbers, I, I know you did. I just can't. <laughs> I'm having trouble with Twitter. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. No. So anyway, I think that they're probably going to I well I already said what they're going to do. They're going to trade from their yeah. pitching depth and that will involve shedding some salary uh, and people will call it a cost-cutting move and people will throw a tantrum about it for sure. Yep. And even though it will be the purpose of it will be to add uh hitting depth and in terms of getting them set up to continue this run and to keep going, that's what the Rays and Cleveland and the A's have always done is you trade from guys who are getting to be a little bit more expensive because they really want to run low payrolls there. Yeah. But the the big thing that happens with that is they get back good young players in return, and that helps them to regenerate and keep going for the next round of, of success. And I think we're going to see some of that with them. I do also think they will sign somebody. I don't think it'll be particularly significant. Michael Conforto just keeps coming into my mind. Uh, mm. though he definitely would not fit with the uh, getting away from strikeouts. No, no. And yeah, yeah, he's, wouldn't. yeah, he's very much a three true outcomes guy. So, you know, it, but th- I think that we will see a mixture of those things, but the, obviously what they're going to do is the offense. And I, I don't, I mean, 2019 calling it a mini teardown and rebuild just because they let Moustakis and, and Grandal walk. When they had him on one-year deals, I don't think that's really a teardown. They just sort of, you know, those guys left. It was a retool, but yeah. All right. Uh, I guess speaking of Michael Conforto or some of the other options out there, Kip is asking, what are some options, internal or external, out there to upgrade some positions with people who can consistently hit? Uh, what's 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 the free agent list looking like, Paul? Uh, James, who did not see Paul frantically gesturing to go to Ryan on this question. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. That's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to quibble with the question because I think that this is an important point and it needs to be made. Um, consistently hit that. That's not a thing. So everybody goes through ups and downs uh, hitters. There are some who, who show a little bit more streakiness than others, but not nearly by as much as, as people think the big differences between good hitters and bad hitters and bad hitters have, 
a lot more bad streaks than good hitters have bad streaks, and their their bad streaks are are higher quality uh, when you're a better hitter. So the the trying to find consistency, aside from I guess what we talked about a little bit here with uh, the idea of trying to strike out a little less and make more contact and get a little more Michael Brantley in your lives sort of thing. But really, mostly, it's just about getting better hitters. And Paul talked about that this is going to be kind of difficult because they're sort of already balanced. And to get like really good hitters in is expensive or you have to give up something really big to get them. Yeah. Yeah. Tough to see the options out there. I mean, um, one of the dumb things about this offseason is you look at where the Brewers' holes are and the best people available to fill it, and it's Avisel Garcia, which is <laughs> stupid. So, like, that's the, yeah. that's the kind of problem they're dealing with, though, is like they, they've had a guy at that position who's okay, but doesn't move the needle for an offense that's struggling. So, it's... It, it's tricky that way, and they're going to have to pony up to actually get somebody um, who makes a significant difference. I feel like we had the same issue last offseason, too, when we did this, and we looked at the list, and it was just a bunch of, like, the best guys were at easily filled positions already, right? <laughs> and there were no third baseman, no first baseman, that kind of thing, and it looks like we might be headed into a similar offseason where... Yeah, those, just shuffle in average guys and hope something else works is maybe what they end up doing. I don't know, but the trade does seem more likely to me as well. All right, uh, one more Twitter question comes from Frank Newins. He's asking, trying not to dwell on the series too much. So the year is 2022, and the World Series is between the Rays and the Brewers. Do you start Willie Adamas in the games at the Trop? in the 2022 world series <laughs> ryan <laughs> i love this question so much i can yeah. barely uh i can barely <laughs> contain myself uh, my heart is bursting right now uh i one thing that really i love about this question and i'm not going to answer it because of course you do but <laughs> one thing i really do love about this is the absolute nightmare that this would be for rob manfred and the uh the other big market uh, oh, whores God, yeah. at MLB f uh, offices. Yeah, that would be terrible for them. They would just, it, it would it would kill them. And so, yeah, by all means, bring it on. <laughs> Paul, do you want to see Willie Adamas try to hit at the trap again? I don't, it, so just taking it for on its face, it's an interesting question because I, I completely believe him based on his development that he did struggle there. So, like, I don't know what they do in that situation. I think you have to trust him to be. You can't bench him. You just can't unless unless there's some crazy option they get in the offseason that can play short. But like even then, he's not going to be a worse option at things. But like, uh, do you like take some extra step and start developing like sunglasses that cancel out the trap? <laughs> like legitimately, like do you start doing that? He just tried that already and it didn't work. I know they did, but maybe technology's gotten better. I I don't know. It's a great question. It, it, like if there's a specific thing about a stadium that makes a guy bad, like what if you, what if you had a player who didn't elevate the ball more than like 15 degrees ever, but always <laughs> elevated more than five degrees, and always pulled the ball to the to the green monster side? Would you play him against the Red Sox in Fenway, knowing you can't hit a home run there? I, I don't know. 
Um, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, it's 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 crazy. Um, but it, it seems to be his kryptonite. So I I, I don't think it'll happen. So I don't have to deal with it. But um, uh, it's uh, I, I don't know what I would do. Uh, I I believe him that he struggles there. <laughs> so I kind of would lean towards not playing him. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I don't not believe him. It, it, it was a market inefficiency. It's how they got him. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it was a, it, the, the, it was a like multi-million dollar decision that everybody believed uh, that that the Brewers believed Willie Adamas. So, I, I guess I guess I I say I don't start him at the trap if there is a projected better option there. I just love this question, and I love that we're going to have an off-season full of these. So uh, <laughs> thank you, Frank, for that question. Uh, I think it's a good one to kind of wrap things up here. Uh, longer one, of course. But a reminder, as we said at the start, sign up to become a patron. You get that question priority. That's patreon.com slash tailgate. You also get a shout out when you sign up to become a patron. And Ryan, it looks like we got a new patron to shout out this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome on board, and I'm not going to screw this one up. Timothy Faust. No. Yeah. I know both of those words. Thanks, Timothy, for signing up. Uh, looking forward to your questions this off season. Thank you for the support. Um, not, not sure how I feel about taking money from somebody named Faust and providing something in return, but we'll go with it. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um also, as always, we would appreciate it if y'all left us a review and a rating for this podcast. Paul will r- read anything, literally, that you write down in the review, as long as you give us five stars, five stars only. Yep. Only settle for the best here. So um, a reminder, yeah, just wherever you listen to us, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, whatever, just hit the subscribe button. Uh, and while you're there, hit that five stars. Super well, easy to do. Yes. Just to be clear. I'm uh, So... I will do that for Apple Podcasts. I will start doing it for Spotify because lots of you said that you listen on Spotify. So uh, I will start checking the Spotify rankings. Do it there <laughs> as well. Again, only five stars. But I can't check like 20 million podcast feed things. So I'll, I'll do those too. And uh, I will also, <laughs> that, that offer also extends to reporting as eligible. Please also yes. go give that a good rating. And yeah, I'll read whatever you write as long as it's not like racist. So There you go. Uh, so yeah, please do uh, go hit that subscribe button hit the review button, uh, leave a rating. We all appreciate it very much. And, you know, as I mentioned, we're actually going to take next week off. It's been a long year and we kind of need uh, a weekend off. So we hopefully uh, made up for it with a little extra content this week as we uh, tick like dangerously close to that hour and a half mark. That's that's something yep. that for us. Uh, but uh, as always, we appreciate all the questions. Uh, we'll see you here in a couple of weeks. Uh, kind of regroup as the World Series maybe wraps up there and kind of take another look at the off season. So thanks again, everybody, for listening. As always, stay well, and we will see you next time here on Milwaukee's Tailgate.